I say that if I'm in my mind, it is for your sake. And if I'm out of my mind, who knows? So, that's a little joke. You'll get it later. Little joke for a little guy? Okay. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> oh, well, it's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord and do communion. And we're going to do that right now. In 1 Corinthians, we're, we're, we read some things about communion. And the question is always asked, who can sit at the table of the Lord? It's a real simple answer. Anyone who's born again of the Spirit of God can sit at the table of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 27 says this, though, about the table. It says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup to the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. It says to examine ourselves. So let's take a minute and do that right now. This is the time to confess your sins to God and get right with Him. Heavenly Father, there are a lot of things that we don't even realize sometimes that we sin in ignorance. Forgive us. There are things where we sin in omission, and there are things where we sin in defilement. Forgive us our sins, Lord, and cleanse us like you said in 1 John 1, 9. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God. Amen. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup 
It's the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is such a holy thing and a holy time. And we thank the Lord for it. If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to 1 John. We're going to be finishing up 1 John today. By the way, the title of the message this morning is Two Keys to a Healthy Church. There are more keys, but these are just two. I hope you all can see me. I'm a little short. There's a new decoration. No, I don't think so. I think we're good. (laughs) Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about praying God's will. Um, You know, a lot of times we pray, but we don't take into account Scripture or the will of God. Here's an example of one such prayer that doesn't take into account Scripture or the will of God. Some gentleman prayed this. He said, Dear Lord, help me to relax about insignificant details beginning tomorrow at 7.41.23 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Help me to consider people's feelings, even as most of them are hypersensitive. Help me to take responsibility for the consequences of my actions, even though they are usually not my fault. Help me not to try to run everything, but if you need some help, please feel free to ask me. Help me to be more laid back, And help me to do it exactly right. Help me to take things more seriously, especially laughter and parties and dancing. Give me patience, and I mean right now. Help me not be a perfectionist. Did I say that correctly? Help me to keep in mind on one thing. Oh, look, a squirrel. Help me to do only what I can and trust you for the rest. And would you mind putting that in writing, please? Keep me open to others' ideas, misguided though they may be. Thank you, Lord. Amen. There's some problems with that prayer. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about what those problems are later. They'll tie in. Today we're back in the we're finally finishing the book of First John. And we know that this book was written anywhere between A.D. 85 and A.D. 100. It was written to a church or a group of churches that were in crisis. There were some false teachers going around, and they needed some guidance on that. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 through 17 is our text this morning. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life. For those who commit sin not leading to death, there is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds to what you would have for us today. Lord, help me to speak clearly, logically, coherently, Uh, that we may change by your word, and that we would leave this place understanding 
a little more of who you are and what you've done. We thank you for your presence here this morning, Holy Spirit. Amazing. And we love you, and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Healthy churches have Christians who are confident in God's will and who pray for restoration of those who have sinned against them. First one, we need to be confident in God's will. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Now there's a lot going on in these short little verses, and I'm going to break them down a little bit. So we're going to look at just verse 14 for a moment. It says, now this is the confidence that we have in Him. Confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. You know, previously John had written about the assurance that we have in Christ. Maybe you don't remember what we talked about just a few verses before. So I'm going to read over it real quick. 1 John 5, 9 says, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which He has testified of His Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Before Jesus came and not only redeemed us, but regenerated us, and gave us the down payment of our salvation, which is the Holy Spirit, people could not have confidence that whatever they asked in prayer, that it would be granted. It was kind of a, well, I don't know what God's will is. I'll, just, I'll pray this, and if he does it, great. But now today, we can have confidence because the Holy Spirit has been given to believers and resides in us who believe. John 14, 17, Jesus said, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This was before the day of Pentecost. So now He dwells in us. Ephesians 1, 13-14 proves this. It says, In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. And we are that purchased possession. I like how the Holman Christian Standard renders those verses. It'll be on the screen. When you heard the message of truth, I like that, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in Him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. We who believe have been sealed to the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit on the inside of the believer. Now we can have the mind of God. Now we can have the mind of Christ. And thanks to the working of Him who dwells in us, we can have that. So when we ask something that is according to His will, guess what? God hears us. The key that so many of these false prophets out there forget 
is according to God's will. God's will. Not your will. God's will. If the Bible doesn't say something is according to His will, well, then these false prophets will twist the Scriptures and will quote them out of context to make it say what they want it to say, even when it doesn't say that. You know who else does this? You know who started this? Satan himself. In the garden, he said, did not God say... You know what? He still does it today. And he did it to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. I would too. Of course, I'd probably lose a lot of weight. Praise the Lord. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. You see, he knew he was the Son of God. But he answered and said, This is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Here it is, for it is written, He shall give angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan! For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. I got some news for you. You ain't going to like it. You ready? Satan knows the scriptures exceedingly well, probably better than most of us since he's been around for since the beginning. He knows them and he's a master at twisting them and taking them out of context. And so are Satan's false prophets. Folks, Satan will help you justify your sin every time. First John 5.15 says, And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. When we are unsure of God's will, then we need to come to God and spend some time in prayer and meditation on the Word of God. That's that's an easy thing to say. But sometimes it can be hard to do. Why? Because nobody wants to be confronted with their sin. To spend time in the presence of the Holy One is to realize how sinful we are. And we need to confess that. And as we align ourselves with God's word, we can then begin to pray in his will and see his hand move in supernatural ways in people's lives. And he will either move supernaturally or he will move through a physical means. But either way, he's going to move. The key is God's will. Did you know sometimes it isn't God's will for her to be physically healed? Did you know that? Did you know it may be his will for you to keep that thorn? Sometimes he wants to leave that in your life for a purpose. 
wait a minute, you mean preacher? You mean to tell me that God may not want me to have my best life now? That God may not want to give me a bunch of money or physically heal me? How dare you say that? I didn't say it, God did. White ink, black, or white paper, black ink. And he said it through Paul. Here's an example of many examples in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Paul writes, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. That means he saw the heavenlies. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He reiterates it. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast. Yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above my measure or above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I can't be dogmatic, but I've got some scriptural evidence that I believe that Paul's thorn in the flesh was his eyes. It was infirmities. Now, I won't get into all the reasoning today, but if you want to know, you can see me later. Okay? The point is that God didn't want Paul to be haughty, to be arrogant, to be prideful, so he had a thorn in the flesh allowed to buffet him. A thorn in the flesh to trouble him, to keep him humble. God is much more concerned. Let, let me say this again. Let me say this slower so you get it. God is much more concerned about your character than your comfortability, than your bank account, or even your physical health. He is much more concerned about your spirituality, as we would say about who you are on the inner man than how comfortable you are or how big your bank account is or how beautiful your motorcycle is than he is anything else. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. A lot of times when we have a haughty nature, we want to show off. But I got a little story for you. A nice executive saw his boss standing in front of a shredder one day with a piece of paper in his hand. And he said, listen, this is the CEO. This is a very sensitive and important document. My secretary is left for the day. Can you make this thing work? Well, being who he is, certainly, he said. And he was confident. 
And he went to the, to the CEO. And he turned that machine on and inserted the paper and pressed the start button. Oh, the CEO was happy. Excellent, excellent. As his paper disappeared inside that shredder. I just need one copy. Life lesson. Don't be too confident. Never, another one that you might want to keep in mind is, never ever assume that your boss knows everything. He may not. Tell you right now, I don't know, what, like Paul, I empty myself. I don't know anything, you know. Try to be that guy. Vivian knows more about what goes on around here than I ever will right now. <laughs> She's shaking her head, no, don't come to me. <laughs> Secondly, we need to pray for restoration of those who are in sin. Pray for restoration of the believers who are in sin. 1 John 5.16 says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. This section of Scripture, if not properly understood in the context of the entirety of Scripture, can be confusing to us today. You mean there are sins that lead to death? Well, yes, there are. There are several places where this is discussed, but I'm not going to go everywhere. I'm going to touch on a certain one briefly. Because frankly, I could spend hours teaching on the sin that leads to death. The sin that leads to death is discussed most in depth in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verse 26. Now, you know how I know that God is not a, a soft drink drinker? Because Hebrews. That's a bad one. Hebrews. I like it. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That sounds dangerous. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. So a few things I'd like to point out here. Again, just hitting the surface. Paul is writing to believers, not the unbelievers. Yes, I said Paul. 
because I believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Now, this is the traditional view, and there are a few reasons, and there's a lot of evidences for it, and if you want to talk about it, we can. This is America, though, and you do have the right to be wrong. That's a joke. You'll get it later. Number two, this is written to Christians because Paul uses the term we when talking about this sin. Number three, Paul is writing to not just believers, but specifically to Jewish believers. So he makes use of common understandings that every Jew would be familiar with. They would be familiar with the law of Moses. It was written to the Hebrews, hence the name, Hebrews. Toward the end of this section, he states, they are not of the kind to shrink back, but reiterates the opening statements. And he does this in verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So what is in view here? Paul's making an appeal to the sin offerings that were provided to the people in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. Now these offerings were broken up into three categories. First were the sins of ignorance. You sin, but you don't realize you're sinning. Second is the sins of omission. You know you should do something, but you don't do it. And lastly are the sins of defilement, the things that make you unclean before God. Well, all sin makes you unclean before God. You know what's not listed here? The sin that leads to death. And that is living in willful disobedience to God. The sin of continuing to live in such a way, even though you have been saved, that you bring shame and reproach on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, you're going to do more harm to the kingdom than you will ever do for the kingdom. Good. Now, does this mean you can lose your salvation? Well, no. No, it doesn't. Well, how do we know this? Well, let's just look at Hebrews and we know this. 1035 says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. And it says it this way, King James, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. And the New American Standard Bible says it this way, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. What is in view here is that you will lose your confidence not your assurance of salvation. But you will lose rewards. You will lose rewards, not a loss of salvation. Do you need an example? Oh, there's a few, but I'll give you one that we just did this morning. What does 1 Corinthians 11 tell us? 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of body and blood of the Lord. Folks, this is serious. What we do up here when we partake of the Lord's Supper is a serious thing. It's not just an act of religion. We are taking in view the body and the blood of Jesus Christ who died in our place. And it goes on, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. 
You know what sleep means there? Dead. Stone cold. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So what do these two passages have in common? Living in such a way that treats the shed blood of Jesus Christ and His body, His bodily sacrifice for sins, as a common thing, an unholy thing, bringing reproach upon Him. 1 John 5.16 says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin leading to death. So yes, there are sins that can lead to death. And it falls under the category of willful, continual sin to the point of reproach on the sacrifice of Christ. Willful, continual sin. You know it's a sin. You do it anyway. Well, God surely won't kill me. God surely won't take me out. God surely won't judge me. Willful, continual sin to the point of reproach on the sacrifice of Christ. To the point that God will take you out of this world just like he did in times past. And you're going to tell me, Pastor, that don't happen. We don't see that. Did you forget about Ananias and Sapphira? How about Herod who died on his throne and immediately bugs started coming out of him? To the point that God will take you out of this world. You want to read about Ananias and Sapphira? That's in Acts chapter 5 verse 1 through 11. We looked at that not too long ago, so I'm not going to read it right now. Now, that being understood, that's not the focus of what John is trying to say here. He says, you should understand that there is sin that leads to death. He's probably taught that before to these churches. His focus is on the restoration of a brother or a sister sinning a sin which doesn't lead to death. Our job is not to shame anyone. Our job is not to shame anyone anyone in sin. Our job is to pray for such a one, for restoration, to ask God to restore and bring back into the fellowship of God and the church. Wait a minute. Pastor, you mean I should pray to God that he would restore someone to the fellowship who has caused all kinds of havoc, who has split the church? Yes, you should. Is that easy? No, it's not. And like I tell my kids when they're learning to type in kindergarten, if everybody could do it, they would. That's why you got to practice. Chaos. It happens. Should we pray for them? Yes. You know what else? And this is truly going to blow your mind. If they're repentant and they have shown that they have changed, then you're supposed to welcome them back into the fellowship. Mind blown. You say you've never seen this happen. I have, only once. I have. I was at another church. I was an associate pastor at the time. This was years ago. Man, that's been over a decade now. But a woman 
when Facebook was new, it was a new thing and everybody was just getting on it. And she was putting gossip on there. And she knew everybody in the church could see it. She was brought in and counseled by the deacons. She was brought in and counseled by the pastor the second time. She was brought in in front of the church a third time. Oh, I repent. I'll never do it again. Then the fourth time she did it, she was actually cast out of the church. The church said, you are not welcome here until you and God have had a reckoning. And then you'll be welcome. And you know what we all said on staff? That'll never happen. She's too prideful. She's too arrogant. Guess what? It happened. She, got up, she came to not only came to church, she got up in front of church and repented in front of everybody. Everybody in the congregation. Visitors. Everybody. We thought she'd never change. We thought she'd never do that. She did it and we said, okay, let's see if there's change. There was change. It never happened again. God is the God of restoration. God is the God, and we are not. And you know what the hardest thing was for those of us who had been bad-mouthed? Was to let her back in the congregation. Mind blown. But we had to repent before a holy God for our thoughts. Because where we stop, God takes over. Where I am weak, He is made strong. We read that. Folks, these are just two keys. Healthy churches have Christians who are confident in God's will and who pray for restoration of those who have sinned against them, against you. Pray for those that despitefully use you, we've been told. Healthy churches pray God's will and pray for those who are in sin to be restored. As the ladies come and as we close out. The church is not a building with a pastor and people who can sing. That makes it a good thing. The Lord did say bring a joyful noise, not a pretty one, but I'm glad we have pretty singers. Uh, if you all listen to me at all, you know, you know I'm loud and, and noisy. I'm not necessarily pretty in my singing, as evidenced by this morning. So in a way, thank God that he said make a joyful noise, because, you know. How about you today? Where is your relationship with Jesus Christ? One... Are you saved? Are you sure that if you were to die today and, and God stood before you and you stood before God at the great white or at the judgment seat of Christ, not the great white throne, if you see the great white throne of judgment, you better, you better realize that you're not making it. That's for the sinners. But the judgment seat of Christ is for the believer. And he says, Why should I let you into my heaven? What would be your answer? Mine would be because you said if we would but believe that we would be saved. 
Do you know that you know that you know that he would let you in? That's where we start. Whether here or on the recording, that's where we start. Secondly, what we talked about this morning. Pastor, I pray, but I never see God's hand move. Are you in alignment with the Word of God? Are you in a life that is dedicated in prayer? Because you see, the closer you get to somebody, the more like them you become. Well, the closer I get to Jesus, the more like Jesus I hope I become. I want to be like Him. And as I be, become like Him, the Bible says that we can have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you. The mind of Christ. And you see, as we begin to get closer to Jesus, we begin to see things the way He sees things. And we begin to pray God's will. And as we pray God's will, we see His hand move. Isn't that glorious? Sometimes we can move a little out of that when we need to be moving a little bit more this way. We just need to find where we're at and get right. Secondly, according to the Scripture, if a brother or sister is caught and they're living in sin, and it's open sin, and, and they, maybe it overtook them. You know, Galatians talks about a sin that can overtake us, but that we should restore them. We should pray for them. John says if it's a willful, disobedient, continual sin, oh, don't, don't pray about that, because that may lead to death. But we don't know if it's going to, so what should we do? Me, I'm going to pray for him anyway. I'd rather waste my time. I really would, then, then not. I'd rather say, God, have mercy on them. Restore to them the joy of their salvation. Bring them back into the fellowship. Help me to help them or whoever it is, him, her. No, I, I don't, I'm not going there anyway. That, that's, that's a political debate. I'm not going there. Y'all know where I'm going, where I'm thinking, right? There's a he and there's a she. <laughs> That's it. But where, who in your life, if you've been in the church longer than three minutes, you know people are people when they sin, right? But who do you need to pray for that they not only recognize it as sin because they've sinned against you. Some people are just sins of ignorance. They just don't realize it. And they just need restoration. The Bible says you need to go to them. The Bible says you need to go to them. Make it right. And pray for that restoration between you and them. Because guess what? We're all struggling in this flesh. We all struggle with the sin nature. We need to have grace. We need to have mercy. We need to be like Jesus. Maybe there's some people you need to pray for. If you'd like to join this church by letter, by statement, or by baptism, I'll be up here. We can get that started. If you want to know Jesus, and you want somebody to pray with you about it, and you know you don't know Jesus, I'll be up here and I can lead you to him. I can't save you, but I can take you to the one who can. As we stand and sing, Miss Joe.